This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Armchair Explorer on location. Travel and adventure stories recorded in the field in the most immersive way possible, designed to give you a glimpse of what it feels like to be there for real. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey guys, I am excited to share with you our next immersive on-location episode. It's called Legends in Stone and it's from our Travel South Dakota Stories podcast. I'm really proud of this episode. Over 60,000 Lakota Native Americans live in South Dakota. And this episode, we're gonna go on a journey with them and discover a unique perspective on the state, their culture, their music. We have an amazing performance from a band called Brulee. I think you're gonna love that. We meet some artists. We really delve into the culture in a deep, deep way. And it's presented by my good friend, Brian Thacker, who you might remember from our previous episode in this series, which was called The Fall and Rise of the Buffalo. It takes place in Custer State Park. It's called the Buffalo Roundup. And I think it's some of the best audio we've ever recorded. You're gonna be in the middle of that herd as they race across the plains. It's fantastic. So's Brian. He's fantastic. Here's a little tidbit you might like. Brian, whenever he goes on a press trip, brings a little bag with some proper tea bags in it. He's an Aussie and they love their tea almost as much as us Brits. So full respect to you, Brian, and full respect on this episode too. I think you guys are really going to like it. It's called Legends in Stone. And remember, guys, our on-location episodes are big projects. They take about two months to produce a three-part series, and that's because we actually go there, we record everything in surround sound, and we try to make these projects as big and immersive as possible. That requires a little bit of funding, so what we do is we work with destinations to help with that side of it, but the editorial part, the storytelling, is all ours, and you can rest assured, I'll never put anything on this feed that I don't personally love and really, really proud of and think that you're really going to like to. So without further ado, here's my friend Brian Thacker with Legends in Stone. Over 60,000 Lakota Native Americans live in South Dakota. Their creation story began here in the Black Hills. This is hallowed ground to the Lakota Nation, who to this day hold a deep connection to their land, history and culture. In 1948, Standing Bear, chief of the Lakota people, asked Polish-American sculptor Korszak Solkowski to create a memorial to the Lakota people in the Black Hills. A memorial to Native American hero and legendary Lakota leader, Crazy Horse. 
Crazy Horse famously took up arms against the United States federal government to fight against encroachment by white American settlers on Native American territory and to preserve the traditional way of life of the Lakota people. The Crazy Horse Memorial has been in progress for 74 years and we begin our journey at the very top. Roaming herds of buffalo, wild west towns, mountains, monuments, ghosts and gunslingers. Welcome to South Dakota, the land of infinite variety. I'm Brian Thacker, I'm a travel writer, and this is episode three, Legends in Stone. I'm standing under the chin of the head of the Crazy Horse Memorial. It's hard to fathom the size of this unfinished and colossal monument carved into the side of Thunderhead Mountain. Just the head alone is bigger than all four heads of the presidents carved into Mount Rushmore. When it's finished, it'll be four times taller than the Statue of Liberty and will be the largest sculpture in the history of the world. This is crazy. We're gonna walk out onto Crazy Horse's arm. And I'm talking, this is like the length of four buses. And we're going to meet the head carvers, who just happen to be the grandsons of the sculptor. Right, let's get going. Dimensions of the face, 87 and a half feet tall. It's uh, 4,800 plus square feet. This is Caleb Zolkowski, the head carver and grandson of Korchak Zolkowski. And that was finished in 1998. You might say what's been happening since then. Well, there's over a million tons of rock that was on this side of the mountain that's now gone. We're within 20 feet of finished grade. If you go down another 260 feet or so, put in a lot of decades of hard work getting a lot of rock out of the way and we're gonna be doing a lot of finish work from here on, at least for the next few decades. So we're really excited about what we got going on here. You'll have the chance to walk down this newly opened path down the backside of the arm. You'll be able to see the hand pretty well from down there. It's one of my favorite new views. It's kind of fun to stand down here. You can see the hand and then you also see Crazy Horse just peeking over the knuckles. Well, if we went down another seven feet, we'd be on some of the horse's mane as it's sort of rushing into the, the hand right below the, the knuckles. We're just to the side of the index finger. It's pointing out into the Black Hills. And then if we look back at the knuckles, we can see Crazy Horse's eyes looking over them. The monument actually has a very famous neighbor, only a 30-minute drive away is Mount Rushmore. When Standing Bear wrote to Zelkowski, he said that there ought to be a memorial in response to Rushmore, something that would show the white world that, quote, the red man had great heroes too. Crazy Horse, a legendary warrior of the Lakota tribe, was one of those heroes. However, no one is sure when the memorial will be finished, even the head carver. The fact that it's hard, that it's going on for a long time, you're, I mean, yes, sometimes 
feels like you've played that script before. You've got the Monday after the Monday after the Monday. But at the same time, it's nice to be part of something where there's a lot of continuity. You can look back and say, well, my dad worked up here and my grandfather worked up here. And how many more, more Mondays do you think? <laughs> I think we're going to finish it on a Tuesday. So, <laughs> we don't know which Tuesday, but we're shooting for a Tuesday. The federal government twice offered Shalkowski millions of dollars to fund the memorial, but he decided to rely on private donations only. And because of that, there are only six crew working full-time on the project, including Caleb's brother, Vaughn. I mean, I love seeing the progress, even if it is hard to attain that progress. And then just being part of something that's trying to give back to is really re rewarding. You could go through the whole of the Black Hills and apart from Crazy Horse, this sacred land for several different Native American groups, it's no longer like much of a sign of their presence here, but Crazy Horse is really a foothold in the Black Hills for them. And just, I think it's a symbol of what was and also a place to showcase their culture and their history and their heritage. Obviously, like that's a big reason why we're doing this to build those bridges, those ties, to have not just them working here, but like people working together. It's sort of a cross-cultural endeavor and trying to understand more like what this land was about before and the people who lived here understanding more of where they came from and where they're at now. We come back because we realize that this is an important place to be. This is Paula Rush. He's been coming to Crazy Horse for 25 years with his award-winning band Brule, who you're hearing now performing at the base of the monument. The Black Hills are kind of an epicenter for the human spirit. Yes, it is, it is the site of conflict, but sometimes the best place to come for a peaceful resolution is the site of where the conflict took place. You know, so we're sitting here between Mount Rushmore and Crazy Horse Memorial, and if you explore those two, it's kind of a juxtaposition between the story of human beings. <laughs> we're going to begin the performance this evening at this time by acknowledging the seven directions and their colors. This song has been a dear friend of ours as it was recorded on our very first CD, and we use this song always to to bring out the seven directions, the colors, and the flags. And the song is called Buffalo Moon. You see, you run into people from all over the world here, and the one common denominator that I found that's kind of interesting, that people that come here to Crazy Horse, it's almost like there's a spiritual calling. They don't know quite what it is, mm -hmm. but they feel it and they come here for that, looking for a little bit of an answer to that. You know, did you see the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Yes. You know how those people were pulled to that, getting up there to, you yeah. know, to Devil's Tower? Yeah. They didn't know why. I kind of sense that same thing, because I can, I can vouch for that, because I've been here for 25 years. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. 
From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. I, I was one of the Native American children who was adopted at birth. I was removed from our country's Indian reservation system. And I was raised by two very wonderful, beautiful, adoptive parents. There was a little tryst in our story, though, because I was never told of my true Native American heritage. You see, it was taboo back in earlier days to openly proclaim that you had Native American descent or lineage in your family tree. We all know that's changed these days with the advent of Ancestry.com and other operations like that. And it's changed for the better. So I grew up with, without that knowledge, and no one ever did ask a question. My parents actually told me I was French-Canadian. Eh? I don't know what else to say. But you know, nobody ever said anything. I lost both parents in, in 1987, at the age of 38. My wife was going through their personal things and found an envelope that was hidden for years with some information about the adoption. She knew right away what was going on, but she didn't tell me. She knew it was of great importance, and so she began a search. It lasted five years. Fast forward two weeks before Thanksgiving of 1993, I received a phone call that evening in our apartment in Minneapolis, and on the other end of the line was a gentleman who introduced himself as my biological brother. Neither of us had known the other had existed all those years. His first words were, hey, bro, you're a Lakota. <laughs> and we went on to exchange our life stories. But it's what he said at the end of the conversation that was about to change everything. He said, come on home. Based on my wife's intuition, I guess following her seventh direction, we packed up her things and headed west to the smallest of the Sioux reservations. There we were given a grand welcome. And before we left that weekend, within 24 hours, um, life had changed. Because now we were part of a new family, part of a new community, a new culture. And in fact, we were part of a new world. But ironically, once again, we were part of two worlds that had been at odds with each other over and throughout the course 
of America's growing pains and had yet to heal from the wounds of the past. But therein gave us our mission. We had become the perfect candidates as a product of both of these worlds and with, and with an equal amount of love and pride for both, we became the perfect candidates to work on a thing called reconciliation, the healing process between the two families, two worlds. Can you tell us about the first experience when you first went to the reservation? We went there not knowing what to expect. And we went there against the advice of our family and friends, because even back then, 1993, it was still questionable as to what was gonna happen on an Indian reservation. And especially you're coming in as kind of an outsider. Yeah. Many of our friends and family said, be very careful with this journey. And we did, but I would say all those apprehensions melted away within the first hour that we were on the reservation. It's just, it, it broke down, it just disappeared. We drove onto the reservation. If you take this little trip off I-90 and go into the Lower Brule Sioux Reservation, it's like you go into a different world and you come down these winding roads and these hills are, it goes from a flat terrain into a rolling hill, it's kind of like dances with wolves. And we pull down this steep hill and there's the Missouri River, you know, a mile wide from horizon to horizon. We pull off a little side road and there's kids playing on horseback down in the ditches. It was like a time warp for us. And even our kids said, hey, dad, he goes, it looks like Indians. We go, well, they are, and you are, <laughs> right. and I am too. So, I mean, if it was done in movie fashion, it would be almost like a, a huge transformation that took place in the course of like 15 minutes. And emotionally, did you, how did you feel? Yeah, it felt like it was home. Yeah. It felt like it was home. I've had many people ask me that over the years. I mean, it took a long time to really embrace that home and to claim ownership of it and to find out what to do with it. But it didn't feel uncomfortable or anything. It just felt like this was a missing part of our lives, you know, so. So did you decide very quickly, like even just when you arrived then, that I need to be here, I need to move here? Well, we didn't instantly think that, but as the weekend progressed, we arrived on a Saturday morning, yeah. and by Sunday afternoon, everything had changed in our lives. So I would say within the course of 24 hours, we had gone from, you know, slightly cautious to wanting to jump into this as much as we could and as quickly as we could. The entire community, and it's not a huge community, there's only, the little town of Lower Rule probably has maybe, you know, maybe 450 people that are there. The tribe itself might have about 1,600 members. It's small, it's the smallest of the Sioux reservations and the smallest of the, of the tribes, of the Lakota tribes. So when I say that the whole community kind of embraced this, it's not like it was a large group, but still it was an inclusive group that got behind us and gave us the encouragement and the welcome and the blessing to go back out into the world as a Lower Brule Sioux tribal member. And I imagine when you moved, everybody took you and his family. It did, and that's kind of a strange feeling. I mean, if you, for somebody that hasn't been in that position, it's hard to describe that. You know, we don't go through that every day. I don't care what part of the country we're from. We grow up in a community, we grow up in a town, a country. We know kind of where we're at. Our family has, they've had their generations that have come before them. We're gonna be part of the generations after them. But when you come into something totally new, just in the blink of an eye, and you find that you're part of another culture and you're instantly accepted, 
and embraced, it's an unusual feeling. It's a joyous feeling, one that's hard to describe. I haven't cornered it really to this day. Paul's experience as a child sadly isn't unique among his people. Joe Pulliam is an award-winning artist and member of the Oglala Sioux Tribe. We meet him at his stall at the Custer State Park Arts Festival. So I spent the first 10 years of my life growing up in St. Paul, Minnesota. So I have a unique kind of perspective on American experience. When I was 10 years old, moved back to the reservation, boom, instant culture shock. I was put into the horse culture instantly. I was put on a horse, I was bucked off, kicked, and bit by a horse in one day. But after that, I knew how to ride a horse for sure. This is my ninth year doing this event. And um, you know, when I first started, I was weighing my artwork down with rocks on my table. And I never even had a canopy. So nine years later, you know, I've developed my art into what we have here. So, so we are looking at this beautiful artwork. What's inspired you for your artwork? My artwork's inspired by um, ledger art. And ledger art is artwork that was done in pre-reservation, early reservation era. And our tribal artisans were using what resources there were. So there were these accounting ledger books, you know, government ledger books around that our people would uh, just use the blank pages, but also if there was writing, they would just paint and draw right over the writing on there. So, you know, in modern times, uh, there's a very popular movement of this ledger book, ledger art movement, and a lot of people are doing it. So, and you know, I take it seriously because it was really responsible for saving our culture and um, saving our, our history. So for me to express that in my art, for people to you know look at and to take that message away is what I really do with my art. You know, we're Lakotas first, but we're also Americans. So we have dual citizenship and we have a dual identity. Most of us keep one foot on a reservation and one foot in America. And so it's a challenging existence, but it's a balance that we're learning. And right now, there's a major movement of taking back our culture. So I call it the Lakota Renaissance, and we're in that right now. And my artwork represents that too. You know, so I, I used to be a protester, but now I let my art do the talking. Like Joe, who is bringing together Native American art and Western history, Paul LaRush is incorporating Native American music into other genres of music. When it comes to America, the pulling from the traditional Native American element into the pop world, it's just happening right now. Yes. And it's weird to say it's just happening right now because I feel like, oh, all right, I've been at this for 27 years. And so we're the last of the subcultures to emerge into the mainstream music industry. I was part of the 60s and 70s, you know, rock generation. I always had my hair a little bit longer. I didn't know it, because I, I was just a rock and roller, and, you know, and it's, it, I didn't realize it was going to be part of my heritage. But, but you know, so the music was ingrained in my upraising. So here's, there was a transforming moment that really was the birth of the brulee sound that you hear today. After we left that first homecoming in 93, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we went back home then. We came back that following summer, and we attended our first powwow. I'd never seen anything like it. When we went to our first powwow, to me, it was kind of like a combination of a county fair, a church social, you know, a city summer celebration, 
it was it was all kind of wrapped up into that thing. It was different than anything I'd ever seen. But attending that that weekend, I was sitting on the 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 powwow takes place in a circular arbor. Everything's in a circle, and I'm listening to the sound, and the drum beats are going, and the chants are going, and I something happened right there. There was there was about a five minute period where the chant I heard, the drum beat I heard in my head reminded me of a rock song that I had been playing when I was 16 years old. You know, so as those drums were playing, the dancers were dancing, I could hear this. The song I'd grown up with. And I go, hey, you know, I think that's probably it right there. Let's just bring these two, these two cultures together musically. Yeah. We've had to follow some very kind of strict protocols. And we've done it not because we had to, because we were instructed to and kind of given a little heads up by our elders, and we did. So, you know, we we pull anything that's coming from the culture that's traditional or sacred, whether it's eagle feathers or the traditional drum or the, the, the wood flute, you know, we just don't pull it out. And a matter of fact, the elders have always said, you can use these in a commercial environment if you do this. And so we do that every show. And just one a quick example is like we got this we got three of these big Native American drums like six feet in diameter, and you know at one time we had three big drummers doing this, but you know and it's a hollowed out cottonwood tree trunk with a buffalo hide surface on the top and the bottom, and when you see the thing it's like oh that's really cool, let me just start playing. You go no 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 you can't just walk up and start playing it, before we can even use it we have to put a tobacco offering down on the ground, we have to keep that drum covered until it's used. It's covered, we just can't keep it open. We have to also worry about, you know, the spiritual aspects of it, you know. Foot's placed on a certain tray, the eagle feathers can't touch the ground. If we drop an eagle feather in, a, in one of our shows, we stop the show. We have to stop the show and do a ceremony. So we're very, very careful about all that. kind. Of, so that's kind of some stuff that you never really think about. But you can't do 25 years without some kind of a mission or cause. Because just playing music that long, it would burn you out. So, We've always had this mission, and we started off early on, and we knew that that we'd been placed in an unusual position, spiritually and culturally. And that position was to be an ambassador for two different ways of life, two cultures that had been at odds with each other over and throughout the course of America's growing pains. And I'm kind of speaking about European-American, you know, as it took over America, and the Native American side. That movement has really yet to, to reconcile. And so we just realized that, hey, we're kind of in that spot. We could work on that. We could work on that healing process. And so that healing process and that idea became as much of a passion for me and my family and all of us as the music did. But the music just poured out because once you have inspiration and once you have a mission, boom, everything just starts to roll. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Thank you for that nice, wonderful welcome. Greetings, everybody. Beautiful day, the Black Hills sacred home of the Lakota and many other indigenous tribes across the country. We're always, always honored when we can perform in this special place. And over the years, the staff here at Crazy Horse have been so kind to us. We've been able to make at least one stop here for the past 25 years, and that's a pretty good track record. As the music played, a colourful host of regalia-clad dancers move in time with the music as they dance in front of the stage. The band has had many combinations of dancers throughout the years, from over 550 tribes across the United States, and most of Paul's family. He originally was our guitarist for many years. I don't remember, even 10, 12 years. He taught himself to play guitar while away at school. We didn't have a guitarist. He said, I'll give it a whirl came back, he was our guitarist. His first love has always been drums, even from a little kid on, and we could never accommodate that because many of the early years we lived in apartments, and the drum kid in an apartment doesn't go very well. <laughs> so recently he was able to kind of wipe this one off of his bucket list. He was been wanting to do this his entire life, and I think he's pretty good at it. I'm most proud to introduce him as my son, Shane LaRush, back on drums. In the center of the stage, our lead instrumentalist, and yes, we are an instrumental band, even though I have people that will come up occasionally and say, you guys are really good singers, you know? So, <laughs> as a compliment, I think. And so, uh, she got her own style. She's kind of, was weary of classical music as a young performer, and she was trained classically, but uh, lost her love for that and put the instrument down for a while. When Brulé was about to begin, it was, all, all it was as a solo, it was me by myself, with a rented piano and a car with one headlight and no hood. <laughs> it was in rough shape back in those days. I think she felt sorry for me. She said, write the melodies down if you can and I'll come with you, break my flute back out. She came along and she's been there ever since, never looked back. Um, she's the former female Native American artist of the year and my daughter, Nicole Rush. Midway through the, the what we call the brulee journey, we realized that we'd more or less fulfilled everything that we could possibly imagine and ever dreamt of. Well, there's always more things we'd love to do, but we've been allowed to travel all over the country, around the world, actually. We've been allowed to do the music that we truly feel that comes from uh, a higher source. I always say that. I don't claim to be creating these songs, but I've been able to borrow them for a while. And if used properly, they could do some good. We realized that we'd, we did all the songs that, that we wanted to many years ago. And so we decided at one point, you know, every song shouldn't be by the band and for the band. And then, then the audience listens. We, we thought that one of these songs should be, should be for the audience, for you and our friends. And so that's how this song was designed. It's the only one that we've ever did. We've kept it as a one-off because it, it did the trick. <laughs> and so... We call this song Circle of Celebration. And like I said, it is your song. So we're going to open this one up to you. Our dancers will come out here 
in just a minute. And if you're comfortable, you're welcome to join in as we form a small circle here. I think we can do it. The room is pretty full, but we generally just take the, the dancers and we follow them. Anybody who wants to join in and, uh, and join hands and uh, join in what we call this brown dance. So this is your song, your circle of celebration. And I always ask everybody just to remember that one afternoon, one evening, you were here at Crazy Horse Memorial. And we shared in some wonderful fellowship and friendship. And for just a moment, we even gathered and joined hands. And in that brief moment, we became brothers and sisters, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our religious and political boundaries and barriers. Circle of Celebration. As the audience got up to hold hands with each other and the dancers, you could feel that Paul and Brule's desire to bring these two worlds, these two families, a little closer together was working. His hope that the music and dancing of Brule would carry the message of harmonious reconciliation is making a difference. Native American culture in South Dakota is well and truly alive today, with all nine tribes in the state welcoming travelers into their communities to share stories from the past and educate for the future. Whether you visit Crazy Horse, attend one of the state's renowned powwows, or take in the legendary Red Cloud Art Show, South Dakota is rich in Native American history and culture. But to feel that, to truly understand that, you need to come here and experience South Dakota for yourself. Thanks for joining us for the third episode of the Travel South Dakota Stories podcast. We'd like to thank our guests who gave us their time and stories, including Caleb and Vaughan Shelkowski, Joe Pulliam and Paula Rush and his band Brulee. We'll be back with new episodes soon, so please hit that subscribe button and follow us wherever you get your shows. Thank you, everybody. Give yourselves a round of applause. That was a fantastic surprise. You guys are great. Thanks for listening to this Armchair Explorer on location episode. I had a ton of fun making it. I hope you had a ton of fun coming along with me. Next week, we'll be back with our usual format and then there'll be lots more on location stuff to come. 